Alan Turing was a brilliant mathematician in 1939 at Bletchley Park in Buckinghamshire, England, with a small team. He was instrumental in cracking the German Enigma code. The Enigma was a type of enciphering machine used by the German armed forces to send messages securely. And uh, they had a way of taking a message, encoding it, and then decoding it at the other end. And uh, we couldn't work out how to crack it. But this small team did. And uh, they basically called it the, um, in the Enigma decoding device that they, they came up with. When the Lord Jesus walked the earth and went to his glorious death and into his resurrection, he often spoke in code. He spoke in what he would call parables. He would tell a parable and then he would say, He who has ears to hear, let them hear. The Greek text for parable actually says the word mysteries. So for the next four weeks, and we might re, um, add, add a few more actually, but the next four weeks we're going to look at Jesus' parables. And uh, so welcome to our new series, Mysteries of the Master, which is up on the screen. The parable that we're looking at this morning, it really struck me as I was studying it, is the Enigma deciphering machine itself. This, this parable is the one which cracks the code of the other parables, often called the parable of the sower, it would be better referred to as, what do you think? The parable of the four soils. Because it's about soils, I guess, more than it is about sowing. Jesus is teaching by the Sea of Galilee in a boat just offshore because there's a large crowd. And he says this. I'm just to read a, a few verses. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Jesus is primarily speaking to Jews, to his own people. There are people that over hundreds of years have been shaped by rabbinic teaching. Rabbis were learned men who would draw disciples to themselves and teach them Torah. In other words, the scripture, the Old Testament. And a very common method was to tell stories, parables, which were very often funny. So the idea of rabbinic teaching with four options was um, not uncommon. In fact, many did exactly that. Rabbi Gamaliel, who taught the Apostle Paul, used to say, not that, not that I'm going to try to explain it, but he used to one example was there are four kinds of fish, an unclean fish, a clean fish, a fish from the Jordan and a fish from the Mediterranean. And then he would unpack it and others would have funny stories that they would tell. Um, so what Jesus was doing here in using parables is not revolutionary. 
But what he was describing was nothing short of revolutionary. When we read Jesus' parables, it's a mistake to assume that Jesus is a preacher wandering around coming up with good stories, like any preacher. And that's, let's be honest, that's the natural place we go to. He says a story, hmm, nice story. I guess he, he told that story just for me in the 21st century. There is truth in that, but it's not the primary reason. Jesus is the Messiah of Israel. He's the one and only fulfillment of the promise of God to fix the problem of sin in the world. He's the answer to every Jewish prayer. He's the culmination of every Jewish prophetic declaration throughout Scripture. These parables are not random They are first and foremost revolutionary announcements that it's on, right? God has come to his people. Exodus is happening again. There's a deliverance about to happen. Of course, Jesus is announcing a kingdom which looks different to the one the people expect. The Romans can't know. Why is he talking in mysteries? Because the Romans can't know yet that a new king is in their midst or Jesus will be shut down immediately. And the Jewish people can't know that Messiah, king, is among them or they'll revolt again as they have numerous times in the previous decades and everyone's going to get killed. Now this revelation, this revolution must take place on God's terms and in God's predetermined way. And how is that? Through a cross and a resurrection, and an imparting of the Spirit of God in every believer's heart. So when we read a parable, we're looking at the sower this morning, the four soils, read it first with the intent to discover what it's saying about the quiet revolution happening in and through the Son of God in human form. Read it with ears to hear the message of a prophecy-fulfilling Messiah among his people. The parable of the four soils is a unique one because Jesus explains it to his disciples immediately after. And he get to verse 13 and he says, and Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? You see, there's this little clue there that this one is like the Enigma deciphering code machine. Because he says this parable is that the farmer sows the word. And in Jewish story code, the farmer in a story refers to God. The seed refers to God's truth. Sometimes it refers to the people of God sown in a land. And then he says, verse 15, Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. The parable of the soils to me is uh, it's like a director's overdub of a movie. Anyone ever seen that? You know, you're watching a movie and there's a, the director is talking about what's going on in the movie. And so I see there's a crane shot. There's a high crane shot and it's looking down and Jesus is just a little bit out in the boat and he's preaching to the people. And uh, you've got Jesus as the director doing a voiceover and he's explaining what is happening right then. In that moment, as he's actually delivering the parable, 
He's telling them what is going on. He's God in human flesh telling them the truth of how God's going to solve the problem of sin. And he's looking at them and the director's saying, you know, see that going out? See the the text going, the word going out? There's hard hearts out there. It's being snapped up like that. It's like he's describing what's actually happening there, right then and there. And it's interesting, he, he says... Not only are their hearts hard, but Satan comes and steals the truth. Now, in the preaching farm, we've been talking about looking for the melodic idea. So if there's a truth you find, look around it in the chapter preceding, maybe the two chapters. What is the evangelist like Mark or what's Paul, the writer of many of the epistles in the New Testament? What's he really getting at? And if you have a look back sometime later um, in Mark's gospel. We're in chapter 4 now, but if you go back chapter 1, we find Jesus casting out a demon who, importantly, with reference to the parable of the soils, knows who Jesus is. He's been listening. And the demon in that story says, What do you want from us, Jesus? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So the demons listen but isn't obeying. And the powers of darkness don't want others to know Jesus' identity. And then in chapter 3, a little bit before chapter 4, there's a, there's a huge section acknowledging the presence of Satan on earth and explaining some of his limitations. So it would seem like Satan plays a role in disturbing the truth of God going out to human beings. What sort of hearer are you today? I think we go in and out of having good soil in our ears and hearts. Anyone feel that? And then for a season, it's a bit crusty. It's a bit hard. What does a hard heart look like today? Is it possible? Is it possible for Satan to steal truth today? Well, Ephesians 4 Verse 26 says, In your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. It seems like the Apostle Paul is saying to the church of the first century, as he would say to us, you can give the devil a foothold. You can give the devil access, quick access to the truth that God wants to place in our heart. But when we do things like let the fruit of anger hang around, maybe things like resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness and contempt. Hebrews says, unbelief is the catalyst for hard-heartedness. It would seem that Scripture is saying when we allow these things to hang around, it can harden our heart, and a hard heart is the sort of place that the evil one steals things from, steals revelation from. So a challenging question for us and for me as I read this is, what sort of hearer am I? It's easy to sit back and say, oh, I know what the four are. Of course, I've got good soil. But the point today is to be a genuine hearer of the truth of God's word and hear what the coach is saying. Your heart's a bit hard. Maybe he's saying that. The second type of soil that Jesus who knows all things and has watched all of human history. So whenever you find Jesus unveiling truth, you've got to stop and go, well, I think he knows what he's talking about. Amen. I think he knows what he's talking about. And he's noticed, you know, there are hard hearts. And the devil steals stuff quickly from those hearts. 
And there's other hearts that have shallow soil, verse 16. Others like seeds sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no roots, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Some hearers in Jesus' day like the sound of this new rabbi's thoughts. And I guess they're probably among the crowd that threw the palm branches down at um, yelling out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And quickly, very quickly, they abandoned this one that they were offering their allegiance to. It's easy to sit here today and be critical of shallow soil hearers, fly-by-night Christians. But as I reflect on it, I think, why would someone have shallow faith? Has it not got something to do with how they were discipled? What do you reckon? I think the church has to own the disappointing reality that many people have shallow soil. We need to be careful in our discipleship of others, in our sharing of the gospel, that we don't become so desperate for someone to sort of sign on the dotted line that we fail them in not explaining that they're signing their life away. They're signing their life away. It's not like a partial commitment. Jesus says, give me your whole life or not at all. Carry a cross. If you don't, you can't follow me. And sometimes, do you think we have? Do you think we soften it and sort of say, Jesus doesn't want your whole life? He just wants your heart. You could give him your little heart, couldn't you? <laughs> but the gospel is, he wants everything. Are you a shallow hearer of God's truth? There were some on this day. <clears throat> there were others, verse 18, that um, Jesus calls soil that is like there are thorns, thorn bushes, um, weeds that are also there. Still others like seeds sown among the thorns hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. I memorized those ones when I was a late teenager because they always struck me. They're pretty relevant. Anyone think they're relevant? 2,000 years later, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for things. Look out for them. Whichever age you live in, whether you're wearing a kilt or you've got a digital thing in your hand or you're killing an animal out in the field, wherever you find yourself, be careful. As a Baptist pastor, we we get um, accepted into a group of ordinands. And Rachel's going through this process now. Uh, there's a small group of people and you sort of journey together a couple of years and you're getting ready for the final accreditation with the Baptist denomination. <clears throat> and then they you know, ordain you and, and you become a reverend. And uh, when I was going through in the 90s in my process, it always struck me that one, one of the pastors who was helping us along we're all there, we're about to embark on full-time ministry. I think there were 13 or 15 of us. And the next minute, uh, the pastor, who was, was an experienced man, he's, he's weeping at the front. And uh, I'd had him for pastoral care subjects, and he did do that every now and then. He's a soft-hearted brother. 
But he was, he was, um, he was weeping. And then he finally got to explain and he said, I'm just honestly looking at you people and, and feeling the pain you're going to go through in the, in the difficult calling that you're going to have. And I'm, I'm just feeling for you. Because <laughs> there's a cross to carry to be minister of the gospel. And I often feel that, and as I get a bit older myself, I've been standing up here for about 25 years looking at groups of people, <clears throat> and I've stood here in this incredible position when you say, will you, man, take this woman, will you be husband and wife? And then I've watched them part ways in such destructive circumstances. And I've looked out and I've seen these people and I've seen them fire up in the church and they've been my best friends. And we've prayed together and served together and gone on mission together and I've watched them and I've listened to them tell me, I have had an unborn again experience and I no longer give my allegiance to Jesus Christ. No. And they walk away. It's real. I feel it today looking out. It's not just the youth group that you look at and you wonder, are we going to make it? It's not because our Lord's not good enough. It's not because the gospel's not powerful enough. It's not because the grip of the Father holding us in his hand is not strong enough. It's a mystery how it happens, but Jesus defines it like this. The word of God is planted in a believer's heart and it grows up and you've got to look around that garden and see what other trees, plants am I allowing to grow? Because if I look around and there is this thorn bush, vine, horrible weed growing and it's the worries of this life, the desire for things, the deceitfulness of wealth and I don't do any gardening. Jesus is saying, look out. You can go really well and then all of a sudden the soil's not that healthy and you start moving away, moving away from an intimate walk with Jesus. Let's be um, you know, practical with each other. This life does have worries, amen? Legitimate worries are always <clears throat> going to be there. And I guess how we're wired, our, our, our openness and, and struggles with stress and anxiety, well, we often don't choose that. And, and these are hard things for us to, to deal with. But Jesus is just saying, be careful. The worries of this life can really challenge you, your belief. So how's that going for you? Wealth will draw us to itself. I think Jesus is just saying, be careful of money. Whatever year you're in in the next 2,000 years, it's tricky. It's tricky stuff, money. Don't fall in love with it. It'll choke you out before you know. So be generous. Give lots away. Sow it into the kingdom. These things, it always strikes me, things. Really? Can things be that bad? The desire for things. Anything created things. And then I, I looked at Romans 1, I listened to Paul, and he describes the lostness of humanity, Romans 1.25. He says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served what? Created things. 
rather than the creator of things and the creator of people who is forever praised. Who would have thought that things could send you to hell? Things. So good soil. He talks about three possible bad soils. Verse 20, the good soil. Others like seeds sown on good soil hear the word, accept it and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. There's an interesting discussion in commentaries about what's normal yield. And what I read was about three, three and a half would be a maxed out yield. Threefold. So he's talking about something pretty special, isn't he? He's talking about the language of Ephesians 3.14 immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Like when we give all of ourselves to God under his gospel and his goodness and truth and his desire to reach the world for his glory, there's some good stuff that can happen. There's some great things that God can do through us. You know, think about this good soil. Think about the sower and and. We talked about it in our Bible study. It's a random farmer, isn't it? It's like he's... It's not particularly like a tractor, just lining it. Something's going on the hard soil. It's a beautiful picture of the sovereign grace of God, I reckon. He's putting it everywhere. He's just not so much a respecter of people, but he just loves people and he's letting them know the good news. And what does the soil have to do? Soil can't chase the seed, can it? It's not a lot of work the soil can do in itself to find it, but the grace of God is coming to us and we're told to do what? To receive it. Amen? To be postured for truth and challenge. In the language of the Proverbs, it's to be cultivated with a taste for wisdom and not folly. I want the truth. I want what's true and right. So how do we prepare the soil of our ears, or as Luke's version of this parable says, the soil of our hearts? We can at least do this. The first three bad soils can be avoided. Right? That's obvious. Don't give the devil a foothold. If you want to have good soil and you want to be a good gardener, don't give the devil a foothold by holding on to sin and hurts, and carrying around a box of contempt that we keep putting people into. That's, we got that one. Try to avoid that by the grace of God. Don't be shallow in our faith. Seek the Lord in his word and in prayer and reflect on his truth and invite the truth into our heart so it gets deep. Deep. Spend time with God. Practice the presence. Talk to him regularly. Journal reflect, sit in silence, just go, God, I want to know you. And he'll, I'll put, he says, I'll put my roots down. The truth will go deep into your heart. You'll be right. And I think the last one is don't forget to do some weeding. <laughs> Worries of this life, deceitfulness of wealth, desire for things. It's why accountability groups are great, aren't they? Someone else can just go, how are you going? Deceitfulness of wealth taking you out? No, oh, me too. Let's confess it together. Can we pray for one another. The desire for things, you know, things can be any idol. Anything that you put up and worship. Digital, physical, relational, ideas, hopes, dreams. It can all be things that we worship. We want to repent of those things. 
As I reflected and prayed about it, I think we can summarize the good soil by two attitudes of the heart, thankful and grace aware. You have a quick think. What would you say? You get to preach. Because it doesn't quite say here exactly what is the good soil. So obviously it receives. But when I think about other scriptures, I think thankful and grace aware. Check out what Romans 1 says. This is powerful stuff. Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And then Paul says, this is why you're held, account, held accountable. What may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor what? Gave thanks. Gave thanks to him. Their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Never minimize the power and importance of thankfulness. Amen? Thankful heart. Thankful heart. What's the source of the problem of bad hearing? A lack of thankfulness. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. The word of God is going out all the time. All the time in general revelation what are we meant to do? Look up and go, wow, I maybe don't know everything, but gee, I'm thankful you made this and I get to be part of it. Hallelujah. Like, wow, God, I'm grateful in the big things, in all its fullness, life in every way, and also in the details of life. To see the fingerprints of God his provision and his protection behind the scenes of life. Good soil is grateful and thankful always. It's what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The power of giving thanks. Good soil is thankful and good soil is grace aware. I love the, the King James version of this um, verse in Jeremiah Chapter 4, verse 3. For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Anyone know that verse? Break up your fallow ground. Break up your unplowed ground. What is it a picture of? It's a picture of repentance, isn't it? It's a picture of grace awareness. It's like, God, I'm not holy, but you are. Have mercy. I'm looking at my heart going, it's hard. And God says, break it up. How do I break it up? You own your sin and you ask me for forgiveness. Own your sin, repent, turn from that way of living and I'm going to come and I'll give you the grace, I'll give you the ability to break it up and then I'm going to put a new seed in there. Break up the unplowed, fallow ground, the hard soil of a hard heart and say, God, have mercy on me. I need your grace. And then we remember, oh, that's right. Jesus didn't just tell stories. 
He told stories that aimed everyone's eyes to where he was heading to go to a cross to die for the sin of the world, to solve the problem of sin and rise from dead, defeating sin, death and the devil. Thankful and grace-aware is a posture of humility, of readiness to receive the provision and protection of God, a readiness to do the will and work of God. So we began, I want to finish with a, a, like a, a quite a long reading of um, Colossians, but it's so powerful for us. We began by acknowledging that Jesus spoke in mysteries. He speaks in mysteries, coded messages called parables. But we live the other side of the gospel. We live the other side of Pentecost. So we're talking about mysteries of the master, but may the Lord... Turn the soil of your heart now as you listen to these words from Colossians that reframe this idea of mystery. Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 24 of Colossians, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery. That has been kept hidden for ages. It was kept hidden. It was these little bits of mystery being released in the parables. But it's now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, the Lord's people, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what's the actual mystery of every parable where it's pointing? That Jesus will ultimately come and fix it and live with us. Like... We won't have to try to be smart in our head, but if we'll have soil in our heart that will receive the seed, it's not just an idea of living well, it's the, 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 the author of life living in us. Hallelujah. Like it's, it's, This is the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. He says in the next chapter, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So this is a mystery that's been unveiled in the gospel in fullness. And then he finishes by saying, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the the faith as you were taught and overflowing with what? thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than of Christ. That'll be shallow soil faith. And then he talks about grace. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. 
He's the head over every power and authority. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Thankful and grace aware, when you were dead in your sins... And in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us. He forgave us all our sins, cancelling the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. He took every reason to bring a charge against you and I away from us put it on the cross and said, you guys are perfect in Christ. You guys are righteous in my sight. He disarmed the powers and authorities. You know, don't be afraid in Christ of the devil coming and stealing stuff from a hard heart. Say, I am in Christ. He's disarmed the powers and the authorities. He's made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Them's preaching words, aren't they? Thankful and grace aware. That's what good soil looks like. When God's truth finds good soil, the sky's the limit. Thankful and grace aware. Why don't you just stop and close your eyes. The band will come up and we'll get ready to sing a final song. But I just wonder if you could close your eyes and honestly ask the coach, the Holy Spirit, what do you see in my heart? What sort of soil?